watching Rudy Giuliani self-destruct at a defamation trial in Washington. Charles Bethia When Rudy Giuliani finally arrived at Elijah Barrett Prettyman U.S. Courthouse in Washington, D.C., on Monday, stiff-legged, about 10 minutes late, unapologetic, his attorney, a former U.S. Army Ranger named Joseph Sibley, tucked him into the large and lonely defense table where the two of them sat, alone, with their giant bottles of water. Sibley had drained much of his while waiting. The former mayor of New York began pulling items out of an overstuffed black backpack that looked like something a sixth grader might bring to school. He'd arrived for the most recent phase in a defamation suit brought by two Georgia election workers, Ruby Freeman and her daughter, Shay Moss, whose backs remained turned to him throughout the day. Beginning on December 3, 2020, during a hearing before the Georgia State Senate and continuing to the present day, Giuliani has claimed that Freeman and Moss, to quote just a few passages of the fable, participated in a heist of the 2020 presidential election, passing around USB ports as if they were vials of heroin or cocaine, which they used to infiltrate the crooked Dominion voting machines. As evidence, he shared edited surveillance footage from State Farm Arena in Atlanta where the two women counted Fulton County votes, purportedly showing them holding the devices. He called the two women serial criminals who'd stolen the election from Donald Trump using suitcases of ballots, a claim he repeated on podcasts and TV episodes, and on the website formerly known as Twitter. Later, Trump mentioned Freeman more than a dozen times in an infamous phone call with the Georgia Secretary of State. Soon, millions of Americans were parroting the narrative, and not only from the remove of the internet. A few showed up at Freeman's home, threatening to make citizens' arrests. She went into hiding. Sign up for the daily newsletter. Our flagship newsletter highlights the best of The New Yorker, including top stories, fiction, humor, and podcasts. Email address. By signing up, you agree to our user agreement and privacy policy and cookie statement. This site is protected by reCAPTCHA and the Google privacy policy and terms of service apply. U.S. District Judge Beryl Howell, who is presiding over the case, has already ruled that Giuliani defamed Freeman and Moss. The question that remained was how much he owed them. On Monday, mother and daughter arrived 39 minutes before Giuliani. Their legal team filled a table and overflowed onto a courtroom bench. One of the attorneys, Von Dubose, delivered an opening statement. What happens, he asked, when someone else disgraces your name? He played excerpts from threatening voicemails that Freeman and Moss received after Giuliani began lying about them and, on a screen, he projected texts that they received. Among the most chilling was a sentence sent one word at a time, we. No. Where. You. Sleep. He also held up a ginger mint, Giuliani's alleged USB port in the State Farm Arena video. Dubose's co-counsel Mike Gottlieb spoke about money. Freeman and Moss are seeking damages in the tens of millions, he said. He advised the jury to consider a verdict that will send a message. The opening statement from the defense was shorter. Sibley called Freeman and Moss good people and acknowledged that they had been harmed. But by whom? He asked. What harm can we say he caused the plaintiffs? Tens of millions in damages, he said, would be the civil equivalent of the death penalty and, effectively, the end of Mr. Giuliani. 
In court, I sat near a white man, about the same age as Giuliani, who seemed to be the defendant's chief supporter in the room who wasn't being paid, assuming Sibley gets paid, Giuliani has been, sued, for allegedly stiffing his counsel, though Giuliani called the fees excessive. The man appeared to shake his head furiously every time the judge reminded the court that Giuliani had already been found at fault. In the hallway, during a break in the proceedings, I introduced myself. The man, who said that his name was Fletcher Thompson, had just finished offering Giuliani, outside the bathroom, some unsolicited advice about ballots and body camera footage, saying, I'm sorry you're in this situation. Giuliani nodded. Thompson, a lawyer who lives in the D.C. area, told me that he was just some guy who saw the videos. He added, I can see what happened. I make my own inferences. I think there was a plan to do this. Later, the court heard from a security and threat management consultant whose company had compiled millions of direct and indirect online references to Freeman and Moss, and we heard more of the comments that were made about them. Those two shouldn't have even been breathing after what they did, one post read. After the day's proceedings were over, Giuliani stepped outside the courthouse and gave a short interview on the sidewalk as he waited for a driver. He had no regrets about his actions, he said. I told the truth. They were engaged in changing votes. Soon, he would explain how, he added, stay tuned. Mr. Sibley has a hard job, Howell said the next day, stating the obvious. Giuliani had acknowledged doubling down on his defamatory remarks the night before, yes, of course I did, he said, matter-of-factly, which, the judge noted, could support another defamation claim against him. Sibley didn't look pleased during a mid-morning recess when Giuliani could be heard telling him they're lying, in apparent reference to the morning's witnesses for the prosecution. Sibley walked away, and Giuliani was approached by Ted Goodman, his spokesperson. This is fucking malpractice, Giuliani said to Goodman. He's not objecting. There wasn't much for Sibley to object to, beyond Giuliani's general self-destruction. Two deposed witnesses, who'd investigated the claims that Freeman and Moss had engaged in illegal or otherwise inappropriate activity, made clear that none had occurred. There was no evidence of hidden suitcases of ballots or ballots counted multiple times, they said. No illegal votes. There was only the subsequent rupture in reality wrought by these spurious claims, which Moss spent much of Tuesday describing. The 39-year-old outlined how her once-lit life, full of selfie-taking and trips to the nail salon, never returned to normal after Giuliani began defaming her and her family. There was a black mirror quality to the experience she described, in a calm voice, occasionally dabbing tears, the internet had helped Giuliani and others spread lies that made her unrecognizable even to herself. Everything just flipped upside down, she said. The election registration office was the only place she'd worked since graduating college. She'd become the interim supervisor involved with absentee ballots, which she compared to winning the golden ticket with Willy Wonka. She thought she might be on the verge of a promotion. Then her bosses told her that hateful, racist, violent, nasty messages were pouring in, claiming that she'd broken the law. Moss changed her hairstyle and color. She became hypervigilant and housebound, stress-eating, gaining 70 pounds, crying often, driving away the few friends who stuck by her. She stopped walking her dog. So many people showed up at her grandmother's house that her grandmother stopped opening her door. 
Her son, who'd received the first wave of hate on her old phone, failed his classes. I felt like the worst mom ever to allow him to have to hear this, have to experience this day after day, she said. Now, he don't even want social media. But Moss couldn't look away. It was this pattern, she said. Eat, sleep, cry, look online, eat to make you feel better, go to sleep because you ate too much, wake up, look again, cry. She was diagnosed with major depressive disorder and acute anxiety disorder. She had recurring nightmares in which she'd go to work and there'd be a crowd at my door with nooses and signs and sticks with fire on the end. She said that her deepest fear was my son finding me and or my mom hanging in front of our house on a tree. Video from The New Yorker La Isla, women speak out after mass arrests in El Salvador. HTTPS slash slash www.newyorkar.com slash video slash watch slash the New Yorker documentary La Isla Women Speak Out After Mass Arrests in El Salvador hashtag incid equals underscore CNE interlude New Yorker underscore FA9 CABA at A6 underscore text V. One of her attorneys, John Langford, from the nonprofit group Protect Democracy, asked Moss whether Giuliani had ever apologized. She shook her head, adding, he was just spreading lies about us last night. She'd found out about what Giuliani had said outside the courthouse after she'd made it back, in the company of bodyguards, to her hotel. There was a huge TV, and I tried not to look, she said. Back in her room, her curiosity got the best of her. She still can't look away. After Moss stepped down from the witness seat, three mega-associates testified for the prosecution via videotape depositions. Two of them, Bernard Carrick and Christina Bob, helped show how Giuliani had made sure that the State Farm video had got into the hands of GOP legislators and others who could spread his false narrative about it, which the former mayor outlined in his strategic communications plan to overturn the election. The third associate to testify was Jenna Ellis, a former legal advisor to Donald Trump, who made frequent appearances alongside Giuliani after the 2020 election. Giuliani left the courtroom partway through her testimony and returned while it was still going. He hadn't missed much, Ellis, by my count, pleaded the fifth more than 60 times. Attorney, you are aware that my clients were convenient scapegoats for President Trump's supporters, correct? Ellis, I invoke the fifth. After day two, back on the sidewalk, Giuliani said that he didn't want to annoy the judge. Still, he called the whole thing a political hit job involving a lawyer who was close to Hunter. As in, Biden. Gottlieb, who was an associate counsel in the Obama administration, worked, as Hunter Biden did, at Boys Schiller Flexner. Then he got into a flag-emblazoned black SUV as a protester loudly predicted prison time in his future. Before the jury entered the courtroom on day three, Judge Howell, increasingly sounding like a schoolteacher scolding a recalcitrant child, asked Giuliani why he'd spoken about the case outside the courthouse yet again, suggesting that he'd broken the rules. If I did it, I did it accidentally, Giuliani said. The judge sighed. There's a lot of accidents going on here, Mr. Giuliani, she said. I don't not admit things, Giuliani insisted, reminding her that he'd fessed up about his ill-considered comments the day before. Most of the morning was spent discussing the reputational damage caused by Giuliani's defamatory statements. Emotional and punitive damages would wait. 
an expert in social media from Northwestern University testified about a formula she created for calculating such damage, then offered estimates for the number of impressions made by each of 16 discrete defamatory statements originating from Giuliani. According to her math, the reputational damage statements generated as many as 57 million impressions and the emotional harm statements generated around a quarter of a billion. A reputation correction campaign would be costly, she said, because the target audience is large and would need to see corrective messages multiple times in order to be persuaded. The bill might run as high as $47 million. Lunch was a cheeseburger and fries for Giuliani and a grilled chicken salad for Sibley in the courthouse cafeteria. About 20 bucks. When Sibley cross-examined the professor, he noted the novelty of her methodology and also questioned the feasibility of re-educating election deniers, whom he compared to flat-earthers. Why are we trying to waste our time with flat-earth people? He said. Freeman and Moss had also sued the One America News Network, which settled with them for an undisclosed sum and admitted to its viewers that the pair did not engage in fraud. Did that work? Sibley asked. Afterward, Freeman took the stand and described her childhood in southern Georgia. Her grandmother, who raised her, had worked in tobacco fields, she'd also made her family candy, and Freeman grew to especially love ginger mints. She got a job at a law firm and another working with 911 dispatchers, eventually, she opened a traveling clothing boutique, La Ruby's Unique Treasures. She gave the mints to her customers. She called herself Lady Ruby. In the fall of 2020, she decided to take on some temporary elections work alongside her daughter. She wasn't political, she said, so what began happening to her a month after the election was especially hard to grasp. An email arrived in her inbox on December 4, at 2.58 a.m. Cheating-ass piece of shit, it began. Hope they lock you up and throw away the key, you disgusting bitch traitor. Stealing people's votes and selling out your country. It went on, not just a criminal, a felon, a dumb criminal. You are scum. Another began, you are dead. And then, from kkk at protonmail.com, we are coming for you and your family. Ms. Ruby, safest place for you right now is in prison. Or you will swing from the trees. Letters arrived in her mailbox and messages arrived via Facebook, text message, and voicemail. I received so many my phone crashed. It just died, Freeman said. Some mentioned Giuliani. You better get on the phone with Uncle Rudy Giuliani and cut a deal, one Facebook message said. It might keep you out of the big house. After people showed up at her home with bullhorns and flags, the FBI, which had discovered that she was on the death list of a man arrested for his involvement in the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, advised her to go somewhere else. So she went to a friend's house, but the friend's husband became concerned for their own safety, just like her church congregation, which, she said, had cut me off, so she stayed in a series of errands. A few months later, she moved back home, but her neighbors had to watch out for her, and she was afraid to come home after dark. Freeman took equity out of the house and bought a new one, in a new neighborhood, where no one knows her name. Who am I today? She asked the court, wiping her nose. She sounded genuinely unsure. 
Freeman now wears a mask or sunglasses in public, a place where both she and her daughter rarely venture. My life is just messed up, she said. All because of somebody putting me out there on blast. Sibley approached Freeman for a cross-examination, said that it was nice to finally meet, and turned around. He had no questions for the witness. Outside the courthouse, reporters gathered for the third consecutive evening of poor decision-making by Giuliani. Would he testify? I said, the truth will come out, he told the small crowd. The truth will come out. I didn't say when. Then, it will come out very, very shortly. As for the messages from people who'd threatened Moss and Freeman, he said, when asked, I don't even know who those people are. Then Goodman pulled him into a car. On Thursday, Sibley told the judge that his client would not be testifying. Shit, a few reporters could be heard saying in the court's media room. There was a new spectator in the gallery that morning, Harrison Floyd, who, like Giuliani, Trump, and, more than a dozen others, has been charged, in Fulton County, with attempting to unlawfully change the outcome of the presidential election. The three men have denied wrongdoing. He sat with Robert Bowes, who worked for the Trump White House, and, whom I met, in August, outside the Fulton County Jail, as we waited for Trump to be booked. Back then, he'd sent me a Dropbox that supposedly provided evidence of strange activity involving Moss and Freeman. I asked him what he made of the trial. I'm thinking Giuliani is unaware of the exculpatory information out there, he said. Floyd left early. In a closing statement, Gottlieb described Freeman and Moss as heroes and asked the jury to award $24 million to each of them, alluding to the testimony of the social media expert. He left it to the jury to determine adequate compensation for the emotional and punitive damages caused by Giuliani, whom he called patient zero in the spreading of the lies about his clients. Mr. Giuliani has shown over and over again that he will not take our clients' names out of his mouth, Gottlieb said. Day after day, he reminds you who he is. He added, he says he isn't sorry and he's telegraphing he'll do this again. Believe him. When it was Sibley's turn, he didn't dispute much that Gottlieb had said about his client. He suggested that the Gateway Pundit, a right-wing website, which the plaintiffs have also sued, was more responsible for the damage done to Freeman and Moss, just because these things happened, and they did happen, doesn't make my client responsible for them, he said, and held up a copy of Giuliani's 2002 book, Leadership, which, as Gottlieb had already noted, has a passage devoted, ironically, to not being a bully. This is a man who did great things, Sibley said. If he hasn't been so great lately, I want you to judge him by the entire character of who he is. On Friday, at a quarter past four, after more than ten hours of deliberation, the jury rendered a verdict. Giuliani was ordered to pay Freeman and Moss more than $16 million each for reputational damages, $20 million each for emotional distress, and a single sum of $75 million in punitive damages. The total came to more than $148 million. Then he headed outside, where he could comment on the verdict without the burden of being under oath. Diamond Suit